I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In this episode of the podcast, I'm sitting down with pioneering interior designer Sue Carr in her Melbourne studio. First of all, thank you for joining me on the podcast. So I wanted to actually go back to the beginning of your career and, or, you know, perhaps even before that and ask you about what age you were when you first realised that you wanted to pursue a career in design. Um, through my secondary education, um, I was split between science and art. Um, my father was in science and my mother, through her millinery, um, was creative. I guess the chemistry sets that I was given at five or six probably catapulted me into the science world. Um, But I managed to keep art right through to year 10. And then chemistry, physics, pure and applied maths, etc. overtook my creative instinct and I had to drop it. Um, so in the end, year 12 was totally scientific, um, including a dabble with German, which I loved as a language, so it's probably the only art side, if you like. Um, and then I headed to RMIT to do an applied chemistry course before going into pharmacy school. So that was the plan. Um, fortunately, the chemistry school was opposite the architecture school in Bowen Lane at RMIT and the CAF was in the architecture school. And after three months of standing in a laboratory, I wondered whether this was right for me. And so I thought I'd wander through the architecture school and maybe chat to a few people um, around about Easter time, I remember, in year one. And um, walked past the architecture school up to a temporary classroom that was stuck on the roof of building six and happily for me the head of department and his associate were sitting in their offices and it was around lunchtime and so I just wandered in gave them my story and they said come and join us (laughs) so I bailed out of applied chemistry that's how easy it was wow gosh how different things might have been absolutely and and what I understood was that this was the science of of life really Um, and that made me very excited rather than chipping away in a laboratory. Mm. Um, The science of life, I like the sound of that, that's a great way of putting it. Well it is really isn't it? Yeah. Um, And interior design was fledgling at the time, Mm. Um, had only started, I'm not sure how long but it was quite a new course. Um, and it was very free and easy. I found it really exciting. Um, And so I I took off in in the course in about April, May, I suppose, with the view of repeating that year. Um, But then I figured that I didn't want to repeat a year, so I got through the first year with a a shortened year. Mm. 
So how did it become interior design after walking through the architecture department and, yeah, such a fledgling field of study? Can you talk us through that kind of decision-making process a bit? Well, I guess the architects weren't that interested in talking to me, really. (laughs) Um, And it's a pity in some ways, and then in others it's not, because it would have been wonderful to have done architecture and then gone into interior design. Um, Because I, I... ongoing in my life. I haven't been able to separate the two. Mm. And I had all the subjects for architecture, um, with particularly um, with physics um, and mathematics. Mm. But I wasn't that focused at the time on what I really wanted to do. I was just exploring what was possible. Mm. Um, the course of interior design was fantastic. It was extensive in its... Um, in its making of things. Um, I loved building construction. That was just so completely scientific to me in the way things came together. Mm. And detail was fascinating. Um, Psychology was another subject. Um, The the sociology of cities, so it's historical. Um, But that led me to understand the importance of looking back um, in architectural form and letting it inform the future. Um, I don't think we were all very... We weren't very very good at typing, which we had to learn. But then later on, when you start your own business, my goodness, the typewriter <laughs> was very useful. Um, uh, so it, it was really very special. And I was lucky um, to get a, a job in year two with um, a small architectural practice in Carlton, just near the university. Mm-hmm. Um, he was our building construction lecturer and he invited me to work with them as a student. Um, I went on after I graduated to work with them, then to a larger firm, Collins Street Business, much bigger business of hundreds of people, mm. um, and then started my own business in 71. Yeah, so you, yeah, you co-founded or founded, I think it was called Inarc, is that correct? That's right. In 1971, so yeah. That came about because, um, I mean, I started work with a small architectural firm uh, and that was more about, you know, collecting the dry cleaning and cleaning the dry line machine um, until finally I got to work on some, on some projects. They didn't have any work for an interior designer, mm. so they pretty much put me in a role of an architect, which, you know, was... Um, not easy, but it did give me a taste for um, the importance of building um, amenity, sense of place, form, and the overall understanding of what architecture and interior design is about. Mm. I then went on um, to join a company as an interior designer, but fortunately for me, I was being educated by an architect. So all along, my interest in architecture has been really deep and meaningful mm. in the workers of an interior designer. But what I found in a, in a large firm um, was that interior designers, and there weren't many of them, I think there was two in a business of about 130, 140 people, mm. were sidelined uh, as being just picking up the pieces um, of what was considered to be interior design, but in fact it wasn't. It was just what I could call wallpapering. Um, so we were given the space, we were given the function, and we were asked to um, 
to the almost decorating um, of the space. I mean, bit by bit, I worked my way through that. Mm. Um, and my last job there was actually reworking a lovely old building in Collins Street where we were relocating to and doing the space planning. And it actually gave me a sense of, yes, we'd started to really be what we should be. That mm. I didn't think I could get through as quickly as I could to the community about the importance of interior design mm. if I stayed. And it seemed to me that opening a standalone interior design business was the answer. What I didn't know is that we were coming into a recession. Mm. In fact, I, didn't, I don't think I really knew what a recession was. Um, but anyway, embarked on a very exciting Murphy Street, South Yarra, our own room, and off we went. Um, just two of us. And the project that I hoped would happen fell apart because of the recession, so we had nothing. Um, but it was amazing how family and friends rallied and, and we got got some work. Yeah. Um, and we took off from there. So I imagine setting up an interior design business uh, also as a woman in 1971 is a very, very different scenario to what that would be today. Can you talk us through a little bit about that process and what that looked like? I think the biggest challenge uh, was to educate what we do. Mm. Um, and that was the main focus to show the work that we were capable of that was different from an offering of someone without our training and without our understanding of architecture, which I'd learnt along the way. Um, and for some reason, it worked. Um, we employed our first person six or nine months in. That was pretty daunting. Um, <laughs> I remember I went without a salary for a while um, while we did that, um, but that, it, was, it was exciting times and we were lucky to be in a group of um, architects and designers, people like Kevin Ballen, uh, Keith Lodge, Henderson and Lodge, merchant builders were all in that building and so it was, it, it was um, very fulfilling to be able to share thoughts and ideas if something went wrong, what do I do? I ran along the corridor um, to ask for some help. So, yes, it was, um, they, were, they were good times. Mm. And, and bit by bit, we grew the business. Um, I mean, I think in our first three or four years, we, or maybe three years, we grew to five, and within 10 years, we you know, were looking around 20 or 30 people. So, you know, mm. we, we did quite well. And most of it was residential. Okay. Um, with some small um, uh, workplace projects that started to flow. Um, and that was the mainstay of the business. Mm. And when I say residential, I'm talking about bespoke residential, not multi-res. Right. Um, but interestingly, that's been such a love of mine through my whole career, the residential arena. Mm. I loved working with families um, and understanding their needs um, and being able to uh, 
sort of discover a way that would meet their program, their, their very tight budgets in most cases, and to complete work that they were just so happy with. I mean, it was just a lovely journey. Mm. Uh, and learning to, um, you know, to work with the builders, understand contracts, specification, all of that. Mm. We were very good at that. Mm. And today, um, one of our most important sectors is multi-res, um, which is an outcome of, of always being in the residential and, and loving the work and understanding the work, mm. understanding how families um, live and work these days and, and their relaxation. Um, and that is transported into multi-res, that knowledge, that deep knowledge, mm. um, which means that we do it very well. Mm. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the journey between, you know, this sort of small to medium size but rapidly growing firm. Can you talk us through, you know, I guess in, in some level of detail, the, that transition between then and now? Probably one of the most outstanding projects in terms of challenge uh, was when we won the competition uh, for the new stock exchange in Melbourne. Mm. And there was... I think around 10 firms that had been invited. And it was at the point when technology was starting to take off. Um, and the ex building that the exchange was moving to in Collins Street was already taking shape as a traditional um, trading floor uh, with the chalkies running around and manually marking up um, uh, value as, as it changed. And it seemed to me that that was something that we really needed to look into. So the competition documents didn't particularly allow us to change the rules. Um, but for some reason, I felt like that was the, the answer. Mm. And so to understand, I took off overseas for a few days um, to have a look at the technology that was being developed for Las Vegas. Mm. Uh, because it seemed to me that that was a way in which we could inform the community about global trends through, through the technology and through the screen. But at the same time, there was a technology on, on a, a, a large screen um, to change the values very quickly as mm. it happened but we still had to create a place for people to go. Because in um, the previous exchange, people would watch the chalkies running around and manually changing the costs. Mm. So I went overseas for a few days, um, learned what was possible, came back and we submitted um, our proposal and we won mm. on the basis of completely different thinking. And the exchange that we built in Collins Street at the time was the first electronic exchange in the world that was then followed throughout the world. I think that stands out as one of the um, really amazing opportunities that we were handed that we thought through and decided to change the rules. Yeah. And I guess in some ways that um, is what we do. Yeah. If with any invitation that we are handed and we consider the proposal, if there's an opportunity to actually add more deep thought about what we think the future could be, 
we would include that. Um, so it gives you an understanding of the depth of research that we do in mm. this business um, and that we're not just repeating the past, mm. that we're always looking forward to what the future might be, but at the same time making sure that the work has a timeless quality. So it's not fashion, mm. it's actually future thinking. But ensuring that what we deliver respects the past because there's so much we can learn from the past in architecture and design. Mm. But the solution is always contemporary in that we are looking to the future. So that kind of encapsulates what we were doing then and exactly what we're doing now. That's a great answer. That's really quite significant. Uh, so, you know, I think it's pretty fair to say that you have been and continue to be a trailblazer in the design industry in Australia. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you felt that you had any role models or mentors along the way, if there was anyone that you were kind of looking to or looking up to, you know, through that journey as a designer, but also a businesswoman. Um, I've never been one to join associations but everyone needs support. And there was one opportunity I had probably, I don't know, in the 80s, uh, where I was invited by somebody that I really um, respected to join a group of women, um, and it was called, from memory, Women Chiefs of Enterprises. It was, a, it was, it was established in France, mm -hmm. um, and I decided, why not? That's the only time I've ever done that, by the way, and I really respected enormously the person that was heading it. Um, and, in, in, and that was really helpful um, because it was, gave me an opportunity to meet others in different industries um, and understand how they ran their businesses. Uh, there was no one else in architecture or interior design at the time uh, that was a female. And it was all about helping each other um, in terms of, of business, um, understanding global trends, um, having more understanding of the importance of contracts. Um, and if we have a problem, someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very beneficial. Um, apart from that, I just probably pretty much had to rely on my, my own instincts. And also as the business grew, um, we obviously then established a business team around the designers. Mm. Um, because I didn't have the skills in finance, um, I didn't have the legal skills, I didn't have the HR skills, I didn't have the marketing skills. So all those people, of course, now are deeply embedded in our business, but mm. at the time we had help from an accountant, mm. um, but at that point I think I was trying to manage, oversee all of those things. That's a lot. It's a lot. Mm. Um, the value of marketing came along, I think, in the early 90s. Um, prior to that, I was approached by various magazines, it seems amazing now in the world <laughs> of social media, um, but I suppose very early in, in my um, career, um, 
I photograph, we photographed our work professionally um, and somehow or other magazines got hold of it, I've got no idea how, <laughs> and asked for interviews um, and could they publish our work. Um, so that really started <clears throat> quite early. Mm. I mean, I think of 1974, 75, 76, so it was only three or four years after we started mm. that we had some nice projects, mainly residential, because in those days there was probably only magazines that I would um, um, be interested in our work being included. You know, people, probably the only people that asked us uh, was Vogue, mm. Vogue Living, and then Bell came along. Mm. Um, and then there was a smattering of international magazines that interested me, um, and British, French and Japanese magazines that we had our work, mm. um, and Italian. Some of our work was published in as well, and that gave me great joy because of the of having our, us published internationally uh, meant to me that we were we were as good as the rest of the world, if you like. Mm. Actually having people within the business in communications was something that had never occurred to me. So I looked after all of that. Um, and I was very particular about where we were published. Um, but um, I was invited by a colleague to talk to a person in communications. I said, oh no, we don't need someone to help us with that. But I soon learned we did, the value of it. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't in those days even considered in professional offices to have someone in communications because we all felt we could do it mm. through awards programs and publications and interviews, um, newspapers, you know, AFR and the, and the dailies. I mean, that was just about what, what it was all about. Mm. Um, but the value of communications, and particularly now with social media and having people truly understand how to deliver a message to the community, um, is, is highly specialised and uh, certainly something that we wouldn't um, do, couldn't do without. Mm. Well, I mean, obviously the media landscape has changed drastically mm. in that time, and you've talked a bit about the changes within your own business, like mm. adding a communications team. I'm curious to hear. What other changes you remember sort of seeing throughout your career in terms of the actual design industry in Australia? There's no doubt that it has changed mm. significantly over the last few decades. But, you know, what would you say would be the most significant changes that you've sort of seen? Well, I think in interior design, it's, it's, it's huge. I mean, from 71 to now, um, we are a profession that is recognised and appreciated uh, we, and has great respect uh, from the business community and, and generally by people and the value that we bring um, to workplace uh, is critical um, to residential, is capital gain for the owners, for multi-res, capital gain for the developers. Um, hospitality, huge, huge business. Um, interior design, impacts on all of that and now particularly in the new sectors like public buildings and health um, are sectors that we are moving into right now. So certainly interior design um, has, uh, has, has grown 
and, and is understood. But what I found probably in the 90s um, was a really probably the toughest period. Um, we had the recession in 91. Mm. We'd been through a couple of recessions, but I hadn't noticed them mm. because we were just working so hard um, that they, it didn't seem to alter the landscape for our business. But 91 shook it up. Um, and really the construction industry as a whole was decimated. We got through that. Uh, by thinking creatively. Um, and I think what followed um, was me working, opening an office in Sydney, uh, which meant that I was in Sydney every week. Um, and I think I did that for about 10 years. Oh, wow. Until technology took over. And I could see that technology allowed us to work in one place and be able to work nationally. And at that time, we also had Virgin uh, had arrived and they were offering cost-effective fares compared with Qantas. And so that combination of technology and Virgin allowed us to consolidate one office back in Melbourne mm. where we could control, I think I'm a bit of a control freak, <laughs> um, the outcomes um, and work anywhere. Mm. And now, of course, with the technology we have now, it's working anywhere, anytime. Mm. Um, which was, in a way, how that started, but is now um, something that's mainstream. Mm. The work that we were being offered, um, we found particularly challenging where we were um, working only on the interior. And so when we had a building that was handed to us for an interior, for some reason we couldn't do it without changing the building. Mm. Um, because interior design, as I mentioned, uh, isn't about wallpapering. It's about understanding the space and all those sublimable intangibles that creates what people enjoy. You know, it's the way the light falls. It's the way the breezes flow through a space. It's the understanding of artificial light to create uh, wonderful spaces at night. Um, and it's about the space itself. And if we could not change the space, we found it particularly hard because when you examine the, the needs, the space didn't work. And so, I've always respected architects and architecture. Um, and we've always employed, from the from that first day of business, an architect. Because I felt like the two were joined. And really, they, the most successful outcome is when the two are joined to the point that you don't see a change. And when we had a building that was one thing and an interior that was another and you walked over a threshold and you experienced something different, to me it wasn't right. So more and more our briefs were becoming architectural because of the outcomes that, were, that we were producing. Mm. And at this point, quite a number of architects working for us and 
it seemed to me that the answer was for us to become architects. So where I started the business to promote interior design as a separate business from architects so that we could stand on our own two feet and show what we did as our work. I then felt it was the time to bring the two together to make sure that whatever we were doing was the best possible outcome. And so that's what we did. So in 2002, we formally became architects as well as interior designers. And we really had um, a great time because we were already highly regarded in the interior design world. And then we had to build the architectural business. Um, and that is now a very successful part of our business now um, with wonderful uh, leadership. Um, and wonderful people in the practice that do beautiful work. Mm. Um, so you can imagine the strength of ultimately building that team. So for a while it struggled, no doubt. Um, but bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit, we've got there. Mm. And, and now the outcomes are whole. Amazing. So, you know, after the decades that you've been in the industry and that you've been running your own business, what would you say motivates you and inspires you um, and allows you and the rest of your team to continue to innovate and what, what drives you forward? I love what I do. It's, it's, it's not a job. It's a way of life. Um, and I think for most in, uh, designers and architects, in our profession, um, that is the way it is. Um, to be the best of what you do, it's a way of life. And that doesn't mean that your family life isn't more important, of course it is. Family is everything. Um, but I think we're incredibly lucky um, to have the opportunity to work and love it, as distinct from people that work. Um, and don't have that same passion. So I think it's the passion for the built form, um, for our cities. I've done a lot of traveling in my life and I absolutely love cities. Um, and I love the history of cities. And I am very privileged to be able to provide homes, apartments, hotels, workplace for people. I mean, that's a, that's a great privilege in life. And I still have that same sense of privilege. And the other thing I think I'm very privileged to have is the young teams that we have had flowing through our business. Um, right from the start, because there weren't many interior designers, I've just fallen into a way of training people because when they arrived, they didn't have any training because there was nowhere else to go. Um, and so my role over the years has been training interior designers and having them ready to go out into the world, sadly, allowing them to leave, but that's the way business is. 
um, and seeing them succeed and some of them on the world stage. I am so incredibly proud of that, mm. many of whom remain my close friends. Um, so that, that's been a very big part of what I've been able to do. So I have a passion for that still. Mm. Mm. But what must happen in your life is you have to realise that you get older. Um, and so the importance of succession planning has been high on the agenda mm. for a long while. Mm. And ensuring that the business operates for another 50 years. Why not? Mm. Um, and if you don't grasp that at the right time, you lose that opportunity. So the importance of building leadership um, and allowing our young people to grow and become leaders uh, and then ultimately become part of the executive mm. um, is a big part of what we do here. Mm. And wrapping around um, our architects and designers an amazing business team that make up those services, and I never call them support because they're not, they're equal. Mm. Without them, we wouldn't be a business. So the business team and the architects and designers are equal in this practice. Um, they do such amazing work. Um, and it, it's, it's never seen as, you know, we are supporting architects and designers. And I think that is a big part of how the business works. Mm. So today we have um, Christmas Q, who um, is our managing director. He's uh, an architect that's been with us 11 years, a very big part of our success. Um, and he's supported by associate directors, associates, um, senior architects, architects, graduates, undergraduates, interior designers, the same. Uh, where Rebecca Trenorden, um runs our interiors business with support of associates and the team that, um, in interiors. Um, and then Nick, my son, uh, is CEO. So he comes from an IT and mathematics background. Um, so he really is the one that is concentrating on the business team. And so the business operates um, as one. Mm. So that's the succession planning that has been done, which allows me to step back from the days of juggling everything, yeah. which is a long time ago now, Yeah. Um, and uh, concentrate on what I think I probably do better anyway, um, which is business development, um, pitching for, for work, mm. um, being part of larger teams, um, design, review that's probably about it that's pretty much what fills my day yeah amazing so you've just alluded to the fact that the studio has now been around for 50 years which is really remarkable mm. and i think last year or quite recently you were recognized by the council of the order of australia for a significant service to interior design to education and to women in business how does that make you feel um when I got a letter from the Governor-General, or it was an email actually, in March of last year, because obviously it's announced on the Queen's birthday weekend, 
I thought, my goodness, what have I done wrong? <laughs> Big emailed by the Governor General. I really was quite um, challenged to open it. I, I couldn't believe my, my eyes. Um, it was a big shock to me. Something I never expected, never wanted. Um, and even to this day, I am criticised enormously by not being, presenting myself as someone with an AM. And I'm criticised by my business colleagues who say, well, why not? This is so important that you celebrate this. I'm still having a little bit of difficulty in <laughs> accepting it as something that is that I wear mm. when it wouldn't have happened without the people around me. Mm. So the fact that I have this um, honour, which is individual, I have great trouble with mm. because it really should be shared. It's shared by the hundreds and hundreds of people that I've worked with, and not just people in this business, but people outside the business, mm. um, that have allowed me to do what I did without even thinking about it, really. Um, education started because we needed to educate, and it, I just kept doing it. Um, and so my connection with RMIT and the university has remained to this day very close. Um, women in business, um, I never really thought about um, anything but gender equality. So I never really thought about women in business or pursuing that as being super important. It was just the way it was. So that's probably my naivety in a way. But it was always um, uh, gender equality, always, never been any different. I guess with the women, um, I always... They always had a position in this business. Uh, when they went off to have their families, they could come back at any time, whenever they felt like it, which is probably, um, again, quite difficult to manage because some of them will come back for one or two days and then they would spread their coming back over many years and some of them would always just work three days. But that was a big thing, um, unbeknown to me, it was actually building an opportunity for women to stay in business and maintain their profession. Mm. I didn't actually see it like that. I just did it because I cared about them mm. and I didn't want them to lose um, their all the training that they had done, all the hard work they'd done to help build this business go off and have their families and then have nothing, mm. which was very prevalent in those days. So I guess I think it's gender equality plus opportunity for working mothers to return when they wanted, and we have many of them here now mm. that have continued their career um, with us with never a question. Mm. Um, Interior design, well, you've heard that story about you know, being crazy enough to go out in a recession and build something that stood alone and then um, to come together with architecture. That's incredible. Um, so <laughs> Thank you so much, Sue. That's, yeah, that was really great to hear that. I think um, 
Needless to say, I, I think the industry, or perhaps just in general, we need more leaders in business like you. So thank you. Thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. Thank you.